Welcome back to another edition of The Right Angle, the podcast from the Assembly Republican Caucus here in Madison, Wisconsin. Today's episode, we've got a conversation about hemp. And for me, this really became a Mythbusters episode about how do you legalize hemp. And, and there's a lot of weird corners, arcane little laws that you get into that you don't really expect to get into when you're talking about hemp. And we clarify a lot of those. We have a really great in-depth conversation about what it looks like to legalize hemp, what the process is, and what little corners we get into as we're going down that road. So without further ado, Representative Tony Kurtz is speaking with Larry Konopaki. Larry is an attorney at Stafford Rosenbaum in Madison and general counsel for the Wisconsin Hemp Alliance. Uh, but interestingly, he's also a former legislative staffer and an attorney for the Legislative Council where he focused on agriculture and other issues for the state of Wisconsin. And he had a big hand in creating the first set of hemp legalization laws. And so we get that perspective as well here today. I'd be interested to hear from you. Uh, what, where, how you heard about hemp? Like, where was the first, what was the first um, aha moment that this was something you were going to pay attention to and sort of led into your knowledge sphere? You know, it actually goes back to the time I was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I mean, this was back in the, in the mid-80s. I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And as you know, Larry, Kentucky was a large hemp producer back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually got interested back there and about, you know, why, why don't we grow this in the United States anymore? And so... When I retired from the service, we moved back here to Wisconsin. Um, I have an organic farm. I started hearing a little bit of it more about hemp. You know, we're importing hemp, all the uses for hemp. And so that intrigued my interest in it, and especially have an organic grain farm. Why I'm interested in hemp is one, how it will work in an organic rotation, and then all the varying uses that we can use with hemp to me is very uh, something that is intriguing. Yeah, and we had a conversation previously about, you know, some of the some of the challenges that people don't understand about uh, growing organically, uh, is you know, especially when you're talking about weeds, and and maybe you can talk a little bit about what we're hoping, what we're all hoping that that where how hemp will fit into that. Well, and like an organic rotation, hemp does a very good. I mean, it's a it's it's a it's a, it's a crop that can put on a lot of growth at different stages. Like I do a lot of organic soybeans. Organic soybeans do not compete with weeds very well. Uh, I'd like to replace hemp in my rotation for those soybeans because I th- that hemp will choke out a lot of those weeds, especially the late season, like foxtail, things like that. And so that, and plus all the varying uses. I mean, it's not just the hemp grain, but it's the hemp. I talked to a, a gentleman the other day. He's more excited about the fiber. So he he harvested his grain last year, and now he's as soon as we get some dry period. He's going to harvest those stocks for the fiber. And so that's, you know, it's almost a dual crop like we have with oats and straw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I'm really excited about the future. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who would be even more excited about the fiber um, if that market would grow. And, and we're seeing that that now. And there's some activity in other states. We've, I've heard of a big group in North Dakota that's working on some, uh, some, some fiber uh, applications. And, and really, what, what the sweet spot ideally would be, and I know there's a few people in Wisconsin who are working on trying to find the, the, the way forward with this genetically, but is to have a, a crop that you could get some oil production, like a CBD oil, even though you allow it to pollinate and germinate, and you can have grain and you can have fiber and, you know, many other applications. I mean, obviously, if you, 
you know, if it's going to be a jack-of-all-trades genetic like that, it would probably have a very low content of certain mm-hmm. things like CBD, but it also have a very low THC content and wouldn't, wouldn't push those limits. But at the same time, you know, if you're talking about the kind of volume someone would, would be able to grow once we get the equipment caught up with this and, you know, it just becomes something that, that people know how to do and they've had experience with, you talk about doing it at a higher volume in terms of acreage, um, you know, then, you, you know, maybe a, the CBD oil is a side product, but it's, it's, it, it, each of those pieces adds to the overall value and the profitability of that, of that product. And I think the opportunity is there. It's just we're in the very beginning stages of this. And remember, you know, this was a crop that was very big in the 30s, 40s, and 50s in Wisconsin with, with the last crop grown in 1957. So it's been six decades since hemp has been grown in the state. Uh, so it, it's something that we'll have to build into. But to your point about the processors, what I'm so excited about is the number of processors that are interested now, that are coming into the state. I mean, in my own district in Reedsburg, Wisconsin, we have a facility that's going up as I speak. In Kendall, which is a very small rural community in my district, the company in South Dakota you refer to as Biosun, they are actively looking in that area to build a facility. Uh, and that's a really good thing for a lot of these small communities that, that are losing jobs, losing that infrastructure, losing those businesses to get these type of processors into those locations. Right. And, you know, one of the things that really spurred a lot of the interest in the legislature uh, back in 2017, 2018 with, the, uh, with the, uh, the first enactment, Act 100, was trying to spur some sort of, of opportunity in, in rural areas. And what we found really is that it's, it crosses rural urban, it crosses um, agriculture to commercial to industrial, small industrial. And there's really opportunity that's all across uh, from, from farm to, you know, we, we always say from farm to table, but it's from farm to product to store to table to, you know, it's just there's, there's a, a whole lot of opportunity. Uh, because we're we're talking today on a on a podcast you know, tied to the state assembly, at least we should probably talk a little bit about the legislation that you're promoting. Uh, how'd you get involved in this, and what are some of the key provisions in it that you're you're particularly excited about? Well, I was just elected in November, and uh, I had my hemp license last year, and so I was one of those growers that wanted to get my license. I got my license but I was hesitant to grow because I didn't have an end market. Those markets now are expanding, and, and the program, so for instance, last year there was 270 growers in the state. Now there's going to be over 1,400 in this crop year. Processors, there was 100 processors last year. Now this year it's going to be over 700 processors. So those are the things that I'm excited about. Now, why do we have to act? We have to act because... Under the new Farm Bill in 2018, they took hemp off the controlled substance list. That is a major, uh, to me, I I can't emphasize the importance of that. So now we, on our state plan, we have to transition this from a pilot program into a full-fledged program. Otherwise, the federal government's going to tell us what to do. And so one of the things I'm really excited about is one of the first meetings that you and I were at, Larry, after all this transpired, there were some banking and some financial institutions at the table because they realized when that got taken off that controlled substance list at the federal level, allowed interstate commerce, interstate transportation, those financial institutions, they want to be involved now because they realize this is, a, it really is a game changer. Like I have, and I'll plug to Camp Compere Financial, but that's 
That's who my mortgage with. Right. That's who I get my crop insurance with. Now, guess what? As a farmer, I can get crop insurance. You know, now I can get a hail policy for that crop. It just opened so many different avenues before it was closed to a lot of hemp farmers and, and, and the banking institutions as far as, you know, the lending opportunities. Because building one of these manufacturing, it, it's not cheap. Right. Yeah, and what we're finding is that more and more banks in particular are, are jumping into the game as they learn more. We've had communicated, everyone involved in this has communicated with, with many different financial institutions. Some of them come on board and others just decide to wait it out, and that's their prerogative. We do find that there's a lot more movement in the banking side than on the credit union side. I have some ideas as to why that is. Partially, it's just sort of the nature of those different entities and, and, and um, who, they, re, who they, they answer to. Uh, but also, there's some regulatory uh, um, influences that, that um, maybe are being misinterpreted, mm -hmm. too. And we've seen, you and I were talking about that today, earlier. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are very um, misadvised, honestly, about about what the status of the law is right now. We just had, you know, a, a credit union that both of us do business with that is um, is convinced that if until the state does transition in the way that you just described from our pilot program to the federal um, um, basically commodity program is what it is, that, that that they're not allowed to enter into this game, and that's just absolutely false. And and uh, but there's people out there, so there's enough confusion, or there's people out there who are sending the wrong signals to some of these entities. These are smart people. These are people who are very successful and in businesses that are successful. But it's it's a very slow process of 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 sort of winning over uh, the understanding, and it's a very conservative bit, uh, industry. But when you see, as you said, you know we've got. Um, Rural Mutual, we've got um, Comp here. We've got big players in that anybody who works in agriculture knows are big players that are reaching out to us saying, spread the word, we're, we're in. Now, they're going to have a lot of trouble these first few years figuring out how to value. You know, your crop, for instance, per acre, the value is very different than somebody's half acre or two acres of, of CBD hemp. And, you know, it's it's like the difference between tobacco and soybeans right and and so hemp covers such a broad spectrum that it's they're really going to be chasing their tails for a while trying to figure out how to best do this but the fact that they're in and recognizing that there's a need and that people want these products are is fantastic and we're seeing more and more banks every day you know the the, the wisconsin bankers association has just been fantastic yeah. in spreading information um, education and they're invite they've invited us to to speak to their group you know at their capital day coming up here next month and you know, they've been fantastic. And, and really, it's it, what we're seeing is it's just, it, it, you know, it, we, the wall doesn't get torn down overnight. It's brick by brick by brick. Um, and, and certainly, I agree with you that the federal action late last year was a, a massive push in, in toward removing that, those, some of these barriers. You know, what the part, interesting part is, is we already have a program. We have a pilot program. We're one of, of, of a handful of states that have a pilot program. So we have a viable legal way to grow and process hemp in the state. And now with the federal government, uh, that to me has just amplified the opportunity that we have to do in this state. And what does concern me, especially the thing you talked about, the letter that went out by a certain credit union, they're lumping this with marijuana. This is not marijuana. Uh, the United States imports large sums of hemp from other countries. And there is no reason why, like hemp powder, uh, my, my, my assistant 
bought some hemp powder today because she needs wants that extra protein boost. Well, guess where that powder is made? It's made in Manitoba. I don't want it to be made in Manitoba. I want it to be made right here in Wisconsin, hemp made in Wisconsin. Right, and that's the same for grain, for 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 feed, for animals, everything. And you know, we we you're absolutely right. And and the reason why it's a challenging thing for people to wrap their heads around. It's it, like I say, these are smart people, and and they're they're smart business people. But the reason why it's challenging is because we're talking about cannabis. We're talking about the same exact plant that is marijuana or that is, uh, that is hemp, it's just a question of what percentage of a particular substance is in that plant, and that's THC. And it, low THC cannabis is legal, higher THC cannabis is, is, is not. And I, it's, it's easy to understand why this is challenging. Um, you know, and, and in particular, when you talk about financial institutions, there's there's so many important and 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 stringent federal re- regulations that that financial institutions have to follow in particular as a condition of having any kind of involvement with the FDIC um, insurance program which is critical uh, you know they they, they really do uh, they they take steps very carefully when thing as things like this change um, and and in particular, you know, there's tax law issues too um, about you know wh- wh- whether or not you're trafficking in a controlled substance. That language shows up a lot in the federal law, and um, it's it's the reason why in the states that have have legalized medical or even recreational marijuana, that those are largely cash businesses because you f- would really f- f- fly afoul of those federal laws pretty quickly. So if anything, I would say that we're harmed in the short term. We're harmed by the fact that there are other states that have bucked federal law and and um, and and legalized marijuana because that's where all of our sort of body of financial institution knowledge is is sort of being de- derived mm-hmm. from and, and derived from and so because those things are are layered upon each other and inseparable in some of these other states it's hard for someone to realize that we don't have those same problems here. We, we just don't. Uh, you know, we've got a regulatory system to ensure that the products stay below the thresholds of THC that are required. And absent that, you're good. Yeah. And so it, 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 it's, if we, I can tell you this, we would have a lot more lending institutions lending, and we'd have a lot more financial institutions provided basic, providing basic banking services if no state had legalized marijuana. Mm-hmm. No, because that's that. the confusion. Yeah. And, and I want to draw the distinction, too, between lending and banking. So what we're seeing is a lot of hemp farmers are going out or growers or processors are going out trying to get uh, to get loans and they're not able to do so um, for things that are are, are, are are viewed as risky by a lender. So if you're going to put up a building um, to process and you're and you're going to do it in a, in a location where if you didn't process hemp in that location that building would have value um, as some for, for some other use you know you're you're and you have land, uh, you know, and you and you've got collateral. People are lending on that. But if you're trying to get a, a loan for operating expenses, things like that, buying equipment for processing, that's very difficult. And we can understand that it's a new industry, and 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 you know, and and every institution has to has to uh, uh, evaluate its own risk yep. and its own risk tolerance. Now, there's there's people out there that are lending in the private market, but that also can be a fairly hairy thing to get involved in, and and it it, it you you're thankful for the regulation sometimes, yeah. of the 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 formal uh, financial world, when you operate in that 
private world sometimes. But of critical importance is these, a lot of these institutions are, are, are not providing general banking right. services. So there's only one reason why you wouldn't do that, because it's not a risk issue, right? You're not worried about somebody depositing $10,000 in their bank account and then writing checks against that. You're not worried about that. What you're worried about is whether or not you can entertain that kind of business under federal or state law in your institution. And so that's what's so shocking to us is that it, it's taking so long to get people to understand that those basic banking functions that really every business needs to, to, to operate successfully, those are, are clearly legal. And then it's just a question of whether they want to engage in the risk to provide the financial support and the loans and you know in, in that on that side we expect that to be slower but that's understandable well let's talk more about the bill it's been out for co-sponsorship now for a couple of weeks and um, there's there's been very favorable response I, I last I heard there was around 30 legislators who had signed on b between the Senate and the Assembly which is fantastic um, let's talk a little bit more about some of the, I, I think of it as an omnibus bill, and, and because I was involved in advising the, the authors on the first round of legislation, I think of it as a, a Larry's mistakes bill. And it's not just, they're not just my mistakes, but but a lot of us just really didn't have any idea. Well, it hasn't well, been grown for six we, decades. We so had no idea. It started from scratch. And we, and, yeah. you know, we looked at other states and we, and we tried not to reinvent a wheel, but really there's a lot of things in this bill that reflect if we would have known then what we know now, we would have put this in the original legislation. And there's a number of things, uh, you know, in particular, the way we structured the whole program uh, has to be changed based on the way that federal law changed. And that's probably too much nuts and bolts for this conversation. But there are a lot of other things. You know, we had to clean up some of the uh, safe harbor provisions because we want to make sure that people who enter, engage in this business in good faith in this industry aren't going to be subject to drug crimes if they inadvertently, you know, produce a crop that goes hot. And, and, you know, sure, that crop has to be either reconditioned or destroyed, and there's strict controls on it, but that's, and you lose your investment, you lose all your time, but that's a very different thing than, than being charged with a drug crime. Absolutely. And I will say in this process, working with the Department of Agricultural Trade and Consumer Protection, I, I, I don't want to speak for Larry, but I think it's been just an incredible process. You got to think, you know, in, you know, in 2018, they took this pilot program, Secretary Harsdorf did a great job. And I think the new, you know, designee, Secretary Paff, I think he's taken that charge as well. And I think they've been a very good partner in crafting a, a good piece of the legislation. Part of that is truth and labeling. So in other words, a consumer should know, should have the right, because there is a lot, there is some confusion out there when somebody gets a, gets a product. And this will allow to make sure that, you know, they know when they buy a product that, that what's in that product is actually in that product. And I think for a consumer and for a, for a grower, I think that's important to make sure people have that stability in that, that product. Absolutely. One of the other things that's, that's big, you know, we've We've been hearing a lot from law enforcement over the last year, and a lot of the things that we've heard were things that we didn't anticipate in the first, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I didn't even, it never even crossed my mind that people would smoke hemp to derive their CBD, um, their, their dose. And as it turns out, it's really, I mean, it probably has some health issues, but outside of that, it's, it's, it's financially the smartest way to do it because you're taking out a middle step that's expensive, that processing step that would get you to an oil or a tincture or a lotion. 
And so we were very surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really, had we known that in the first round, um, it probably would have, would have resulted in a lot of thought about how to handle that because that creates the most challenges for law enforcement is now you've got a product that's in a form that looks similar, is used similar, smells similar, and packaged the same way as as what they've traditionally seen as an, and has been an illegal substance. So, one of the things that in this legislation, for instance, that that really moves away from freedom to grow, um, I, I, in the interest of trying to help with law enforcement, is is making sure that that DACAP approves every strain that goes into the ground, because that's one way that if someone then has something with with the label with the uh, the fit for commerce certificate and the right packaging at least law enforcement can have some confidence that it was grown from a plant that um that had been tested to be under those THC well and the other important aspect of that i mean historically they're going to be able over time as this industry they're going to be able to look at certain varieties and say well you know what that's going to have a higher thc we're going to we'd rather have you not yeah don't because that that's could be the issue. Like I said, I just I have my hemp seed. It's a X59. It's one that's a proven. It has a very very low c- content of THC. So that's something uh, I think, especially as we move forward. Uh, the other part about this legislation I think is important. Also, it gives that cap a little bit of flexibility over time as the federal law does evolve. And one thing I'm excited about, you have to think, the federal government is writing a lot of these policies as we as they move forward, and they're going to look toward Wisconsin as one of the leaders in helping craft this, uh, the, the federal rules and regulations as they move forward. So it is important that, that we, we work hard, we make sure this is an industry that thrives, and I think this bill does a good part of setting that ground, that ground floor for us. One of the things that I, find, that, that I find really interesting about the federal state overlay is that we had a pretty moderate uh, enforcement system set up in the first round of legislation, what's current law in Wisconsin. And actually in the farm bill, the federal farm bill, under that law, we're required to adopt their enforcement provisions, which really do lighten in many respects the, the touch, the regulatory touch in terms of the, the, um, the, especially in terms of the enforcement, if there's any issues. And, and so, you know, basically, if you, if, you, if you fail to meet the requirements under federal law, but you do so, you know, not at fault, you know, clean hands, there's really very, very, a very soft touch. You know, basically, it's, you have to put together a plan as to how not to have this happen again. And, and, and we had to actually back off as a state. And, and the other thing you mentioned in the very beginning of this discussion was federal government made it legal to transport hemp through, a sta- through every state in the union. And... And so when you add those two things together, really, we aren't able to be more restrictive in, in so many ways anymore. And, and so, you know, everything the state's doing right now is consistent with being as restrictive as we're allowed to be. But there isn't that much more we can do. Right. You know, the one thing, too, you know, in, in, in particular, my area on the western side of the state, tobacco was huge in, in, in that part of the state. And... People could grow an acre or two or three of, of tobacco, and that was a very good, lucrative cash crop. I, I personally think hemp could have that, that same type of effect, especially in those smaller and mid-sized farms. I, I, that's where I think a, you know, a, a dairy farm or you know, a, they could diversify and have a, have a small parcel of that to help 
we're, we're in a dairy crisis. There is absolutely no doubt we've been in that for going on four years now. Um, and I do hope that farmers will look as look at this as another avenue of another to help diversify their their portfolio their as their in their crop rotation so i got a call last week from a young man in iowa who is from wisconsin he wants to set up a processing facility and he was walking up he said hang on i might lose you i'm walking up to my dorm room where i can i can be um i can get some you know some space to talk to you so there, and, and, and there's been a lot of stories of that. You know, you're talking mm-hmm. about the Biosun project and some of the people involved in that and some other folks. There's a lot of interest of, of, from very young people, young entrepreneurs, people who would like to get into agriculture but don't, aren't able to break through the incredibly difficult land purchase side of or rent rental side of, of getting into agriculture. And this is can be very small. One of the things I wanted to point out for the people who are listening is maybe you can talk about this. Uh, a little bit of the difference between the type of seed you're growing and a CBD type seed and what that means in terms of scope and volume? Well, like for instance, uh, I have over 1,500 pounds worth of seed in, in my shed right now, my machine shed. And so, you know, I'm paying it like, you know, a, a buck 40 a pound. A pound of hemp seed is roughly 27,000 seeds. Well, that's for grain. If somebody's growing that for CBD oil based on you know, the variety and what they're looking for. I mean, just one seed a buck. can cost a buck and up. Yeah. So drastic <laughs> dr- difference. And uh, regardless, I mean, a, a, you know, a crop of um, hemp grain is going to be expensive, but, a, you know, an acre of hemp for CBD is a tremendous uh, expense. Uh, and people just have to understand the the difference. I mean, you obviously want that variety. You know, they want female plants. I want male and females, obviously, mm-hmm. p- to pollinate it. Uh, so it is really different. But it's something. And, I, and to your point, uh, a, a young man I talked to in Nasita, young guy, kind of what you were saying. He wants to get into farming. And so he, this year, he's going to do one one acre of hemp for CBD. And he said, I'm going to take it slow. He said, but I've got, you know, we've got two acres. I'm going to put an acre in hemp CBD. He's excited. You can see uh, the enthusiasm, the, you know, for getting into agriculture. And that's a good thing because, as you know, most farmers are in their late 50s. Right. Uh, and, Succession and if, planning is a problem. Oh, yeah. And if we can get young men and women involved, and if this is an avenue to get them started, more power to them. And, you know, one thing we never have to worry about ever is a willingness of new or existing farmers to work at something. Oh. Even if they're overworked, they'll work at something if they see an interest. You know, and I, I, I've used this example when I've spoken around the state on this issue. When I was a kid, I decided, I was 12 years old, I decided I wanted to start a hog, a hog business on our dairy farm. And we had an old hog house, and I spent all the money I'd saved up from side jobs buying new, refurbishing the, the, the facility. And we, and my, my sisters and my brother and I, we, we, we bought some, some sows and had some piglets. And I, I think, you know, we made some money, but not if you base it on an hourly rate. Right. But that enthusiasm, and, and, and that's, a, that's through a child's eyes, but, but it's no different. I mean, I'm talking to farmers who haven't been excited about their next side project like they've been excited about this since emus or now hopefully it goes in the better a better route than than the way that ended up but but there is there there's something to be said just for hope and enthusiasm and i think this is 
um, creating a lot of that out there. In oh, no, Wisconsin. I totally agree. I think it's especially in the rural locations, there's a lot of excitement, uh, a lot of, uh, in, once again, enthusiasm, especially in those young, younger farmers to get involved. And, and to your point, Wisconsin farmers are by far the best farmers in the world with their ingenuity, their entrepreneurial spirit, and, and just the way they can figure things out over time to make it the best product in the world. The last thing, I guess, is that we're starting now also to see the UW jump to jump into the game. And with the Wisconsin idea and the UW extension support um, really starting to, to, to ramp up, we're going to see this become it's, – it's going to be uh, subject to the, the, the same forces that all the other things we're successful in in agriculture are subject to. And, and so it's a real hopeful time for this industry. No, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait to, to get some seed in the ground. So that's hemp legalization. We've got a lot of interesting corners that we got into today. Uh, marijuana legalization and how that has impacted uh, banking regulations and how people understand what banks can and can't do in the hemp industry. We've got questions about shifting federal enforcement and federal law on the state of our state laws today. A lot of interesting things, and we're looking forward to seeing this bill move forward and get our state lined up and hopefully be a model for federal legislation as we move forward here in Wisconsin. That is The Right Angle for today. We'll talk to you next time.